Welcome to another episode of Adventures in Angular. In this episode, it's gonna be just me, Lucas Paganini, your host. Um, so we don't have Armin Subrat, our check today. Unfortunately, you're gonna have to bear with just my voice, but hopefully this is still gonna be <laughs> valuable. Today, I want to talk about something that has been deeply rooted in my personal preferences for software development, but also for my entire company. So I am the CEO of Envoid. We are specialized in Angular development, and we are also specialized in functional programming. And today, I'd like to talk about a particular library that allows us to use functional programming in our code bases, both in our backend code bases that use TypeScript and Node, and in our frontend code bases that use Angular. This library is called FPTS. Basically, FP from functional programming, TS from TypeScript. So it's functional programming for TypeScript. First, let's talk about the problems that this library solves. Um, the problems that it solves is that TypeScript and JavaScript don't have native data structures that allows us to use functional programming paradigms. So this particular library exposes us with all the base data structures needed for us to use functional programming in our code base. Okay? That was a very abstract answer. I'm going to break it down into something more concrete. Uh, and let me do that starting with what I believe to be the simplest data structure from this library. I believe that the easiest data structure to introduce the audience is option. And option is basically a wrapper around a value that could not be available. For example, Let's say that you have an optional value. So this value is either a string or it is null. Um, one problem that can happen is that sometimes you can have such a scenario without typing that the, op that the value can be null. For example, let's say that you have a function and the function is divide. So this function takes two numbers and divides one number from the other and returns the result. This function returns a number, right? Kinda. Like the problem is, it's going to return a number in most cases unless it's trying to divide by zero. If it tries to divide by zero, it's gonna throw an error. And then you might say, Lucas, but it's still returning an error. Like the fact that the function throws it's still returning a number. The fact that the function throws an error doesn't change the return type. Yeah, that is true. But doesn't that feel like a bug? Like, why do we treat throw differently than return? Like, it, it feels so weird when you stop to think about it. Because you're basically allowing your application, which is using TypeScript so that you have type safety during compile time, you're allowing your application to have a scenario where it's going to break and you're not catching that during compile time because TypeScript doesn't 
force you to add a try catch around the divide function because it thinks that it's only going to return a number. It doesn't know that it that it can return an error. And frankly, even if TypeScript knew that it could throw an error, it would still compile. So even though this seems normal, I see that as a bug. I think that if your function can throw an error, you should be forced to handle that possible error during compile time. Like your code should not compile if you don't deal with the error. And that's something that you can do with FPGS. Um, how, for example, using the option data structure. There's another data structure that would be better for this case, but let's use option in this case just for the sake of an example. Instead of returning a number, you can say that your function returns the option of a number. So you're basically wrapping your number into a data structure. This option data structure is a union type. It can be two things. Either it is sum or it is none. Okay, so imagine that you, the Boolean type. The Boolean type is a union. The Boolean is either true or false, right? Option is also a union. It's either sum or none. When it is none, then it is nothing. It's the same as returning null. But when it is sum, it has a value. So when it is sum, it is an object with the property value, and the value property contains the actual number that you are trying to return. But when it is none, it doesn't have the value property. It's just nothing. There is no result. So what you can do now is, if you're trying to divide by zero, then you return none. And if you are not dividing by zero, then you return sum of the actual return. So for example, four divided by two is equal to two. But in our function, this would return sum of two. Uh, but if you try to do four divided by zero, our function would return none. Why is that important? Because now you need to deal with the fact that this function might return none. And this forces you to deal with the possible error. This is the entire benefit. You might say, Lucas, this is so complex. Like I could have the same benefit if I just said that the function returned a number or null instead of saying that it returns the option of a number. Or I could just say that the function returns um, a number or an error, and then I can check if the return is an instance of an error. Yeah, you could. That All those things would still provide you with the same benefits that I talked about thus far, which is being able to have a code that doesn't compile if you don't deal with the error case. But you would lose a lot of utilities that FPTS exposes. For example, when you have an option, then you can apply many of the functions that FPTS exposes to work with options. For example, there is a function in FPTS that is called um, to nullable. If you pass to nullable, 
if you pass an option to two nullable, it's going to either return the value of the option or null. So you can easily convert an option from to the value or null. Or uh, you can also use get or else, which is another function from FPTS to deal with options. And this function takes a value that should be used as the default value, and then you give it the option. And if the option contains a value, it returns the value. If the option doesn't contain the value, it returns the default value that you passed. So for example, you can say get or else return one, and then you give it an option to it. If the option is a sum of three, then it's going to return three. But if the option is none, then it's going to return the default value that you passed, which was one. I know that those scenarios sound simple, but it's just, there's a lot of them. Like FPTS exposes a lot of utilities, kind of like RxJS. So you could say, what is the benefit of using observables if I can just use callbacks? Well, apart from the declarativeness of using observables instead of callbacks, you also get the benefit that RxJS exposes a hundred operators to deal with observables. This is the same thing for FPTS. Although you could return the value or null, returning an option of the value allows you to use all the utility functions that FPTS exposes to deal with values that could not be present. And this is just the most simple interface in FPTS. We can go into more advanced levels. For example, the next one I believe would be either. Either is when you can have two states. You can either have the left state or the right state. Generally speaking, we use the left state for errors and the right state for successes. So in the case of our divide function, we would, this function would return an either of an error or a number. So either takes two types. The first one is going to be what it returns in case the function fails. In our case, it's going to be an error. And the other is what it returns in case the function succeeds. In our case, it's going to be a number. Now, the difference is in the first case, we were discarding the value, the failure value. So if you're using option, it means that you don't care about the value of when the thing is not there. So for example, um, if an error had occurred in our divide function, we wouldn't keep the error. We would just return none. Either is different. If the error happens, you can return a left error. So that means that you can still access the failure value. So um, if you return an either, this either is either a left or a right. So imagine a function that a function divide that returns the either of an error or a number. If it fails, for example, you're trying to divide by zero, it's going to return the left of an error. 
And if it works, then it's going to return the right of a number. Okay, what do you do with that? That's so complex to explain in a podcast. So sorry about this. Uh, what you can do with that is, again, you can use all the utilities from FPTS to deal with these data structures. For example, you can convert your either to an option. So there is an, uh, a function for that. Um, it's called from either. So you can import from either uh, from FPTS slash option. And this function takes an either and returns an option. Basically, it discards the left value. If it is an error, if it is a left, it just discards. It treats that as none. And if it is a right, then it turns that into a sum. So it basically turns an either into an option. You can also do the opposite. If you have an option and you want to turn it into an either, you can use, you can import from option from FPTS slash either. This function is going to take um, first the default value of what should be the left property in case option is none, and then it takes none. So for example, if you try to use from option to convert an option to an either, let's say that the option is sum of four, then this is going to become right of four. But what if it's none? How do you convert none to a left of something? Because left needs to be of something, and none is just nothing. None doesn't have a type, it's just nothing. There's no value. So when you call from option, you need to also pass to this function what should be the value in case the option is none. So if the option is none, the either should be a left of what? Should be a left of an error? Should be a left of a string? A left of a number? I don't know. You tell the function. Um, and now, with those two data structures that we talked thus far, you already have a much more explicit way to deal with values that could be dual or undefined and a much more explicit way to deal with things that could return an error. So you don't need to throw an error anymore. You can just return an either of the error or the success value. And that is going to force the person that is consuming your function of handling the error. Because the person will not be able to use the value if they don't treat the possible failure case. Like you just can't use it. Let's say that you call the function divide and the function returns the either of an error or a number. You can't multiply this result by two or add one or subtract three. You can't because it's not a number. You can only multiply, subtract, and add from numbers, but you don't have a number. You have the either of an error or a number. For you to be able to use the number, you're going to first have to check if this either is a right. So you're going to have to um, do if is right, and is right is a, a type guard. It's a function that takes a value and says if this value is of that type or not. So you're going to call is right with the either value. And 
if this returns true, then the either is going to be right. And then you can say either dot right, and then you can access the number. And then you can do multiplication, subtraction, um, all the numeric operations. But that also forces you to deal with the left case. So this is doing that. Can you see, like, I know that this is really complex. I know. Um, I'm trying not to make this extremely boring and super theoretical, but it kind of is. Like, it is just concepts. So it's hard to, to say that in a way that you can be as excited about it as I am. But when you see that in practice, it is extremely exciting because quite frankly, it's so easy to not deal with errors. It's just too easy. Like, even if you add documentation to your function, you can, like, add your TS docs, and you can say at throw, and then you can say that this function throws an error if this condition happens. So this function throws an error if you try to divide by zero. Even if you put that in the function documentation, there's nothing stopping other developers from using your function without a try-catch block. So your code is unsafe. It's literally unsafe. People could use your code and it could break in production. This is what functional programming solves. If you, instead of throwing an error, returned the either of an error or number, then the consumer of your function would not use the number without handling the possibility of the error. This is the beauty of functional programming. Okay. Um, now, I wanted to show you like what I consider to be beautiful code. Like it's almost like a form of art to write this, but I can't just show things in a podcast because I'm only speaking. But you know when you're using RxJS and you just do, like you have an observable and then you're, you pipe this observable and you use all the RxJS operators and then you compose this observable into something else. And at the end, you have this feeling that you wrote something really good because like you're not having to save the middle states you're just transforming the observables as they go through the pipe. And at the end, you're getting to the observable that you wanted. That's the same thing that you can accomplish with functional programming. So you can use pipe, like FPTS exposes a function called pipe, and you just give it the initial value, and then you give it how many functions you want. They're going to take this value and return it differently. And then you just keep piping the value until you get to what you want. We write entire backends just with pipe. Like, I'm telling you, this, this seems hard, but you get used to it and it's just beautiful at the end. Like, I can write an entire HTTP handler that pipes the request from Express 
and gives the request to a function that like extracts the data from the request. And this function is going to return either the data that I want or an error. And then I can use either.map. And what either.map is going to do is it's kind of like, our, it's exactly like RxJS. It's exactly like map from RxJS. It's going to take a function that maps the internal value of either in case either is a right. If either is a left, it's just going to bypass. And then you can do like either.map, and then you can transform that data that you got from the request into uh, like another data, or you can use it to grab the authenticated user from the authorization header. And then you can pipe it to another function that is going to try to save that data into a database. And of course, this function can also fail. So it's also going to return a data structure that can have an error state, which it's probably going to be a task hider. So task is what you use when you need something in FPTS that is going to be asynchronous. So task is a function that returns a promise. And a task either is a function that returns a promise of an either. And then you can just keep piping things. And you just have a super, super reusable, condensed, and concise code that I know seems complex. But honestly, when it's written down, everybody can understand it. And it's even easier to write tests because everything's pure. There are no mutations. There are no side effects. You're not making changes to variables. There are no lets. There are no vars. Everything is a const. Yeah. Oh, my. Um, I don't know if Subret, Armin, and Chuck are ever going to let me do a podcast alone after this one. <laughs> This is super complex. Um, but yeah, this is this is what I wanted to talk about here today. I'm not going to prolong this anymore because I really don't want to get into all the complexities of how to use FPTS. In this episode, I honestly just wanted to tell you why it's important and talk to you about the easiest data structures, which are option and either. And then if you need something asynchronous, you can also have a task or a task of either. What I encourage you to do now is to go to GitHub and look for FPTS. There you can see they're getting started and really see it in practice, really see how you can apply that in your code base. Because it, it's super difficult to explain from audio. So... Um, I know that this is a valuable subject because functional programming is what makes our code bases extremely exceptional. It's not even Angular, although we are focused on Angular. And if you go into our company website, Envoy.com, the first thing that you're going to see is a gigantic hero section saying we are Angular experts. And we are. But... I think that functional programming is 
even more special to what we do than our expertise in Angular. The only reason, and then you might say, okay, then why don't you, in your website, why don't you say that you are experts in functional programming? Well, uh, the reason why we don't do that is because most people don't understand what this is. Like if we try to go after clients saying we are experts in functional programming, most clients will be like, what is that? Like uh, we use object-oriented programming. I don't care about functional programming. So um, since most people don't understand it and don't see the benefits from it, then we keep that information, the fact that we are also experts in functional programming, kind of in a discreet way. We don't say it as with so much highlight as we say that we are Angular experts, but just because most people don't understand the value from it. Because I think that knowing about functional programming makes us much better programmers than us being experts in Angular. I truly believe that. And functional programming is something that can be applied in all circumstances. Like, you don't even need to be in an Angular code base to apply functional programming. You can be using React. You can be using Vue. Heck, you don't even need to be in the front end. Like, you can be coding a backend API in Node. You can even be coding something that isn't even in JavaScript. Like, you can use functional programming in other languages too. And it's a paradigm that is going to make your code base much safer. Like, it's going to force every developer to deal with all the possible errors. So I highly encourage the entire audience to look more into that. Okay? <laughs> all right. Um, let's get into promotions and picks. Just in case anyone is still there, uh, this was a very complex episode. If you're still here, then um, you're awesome. Like, honestly, it's, I can't even imagine how hard it must have been and how many times you must have replayed the things that I said to fully understand uh, the concepts here. Um, but yeah, you rock. Like, honestly, functional programming is not easy. Uh, my promotions today are going to be to just avoid my company. So just in case your company is looking for outsourced Angular developers, you can recommend to your boss Envoid.com. And what we can offer to companies is a flexible way to hire Angular experts. And that doesn't need to be like a long-term contract. Like, for example, we have clients that like they want like four or five developers for a short amount of time, like three months. But after that, they only want like one or two. So it's kind of like they need more people to build something fast. But after that, they don't really need or they don't really want to keep all those developers. So I think that hiring us is honestly a better alternative than hiring more developers than you need and then having to lay off professionals, which is what has been happening in our, in our industry a lot recently. So if you want to hire developers, but you know that you won't need them after a while, then come on, like, please don't hire a, 
an employee, don't hire a full-time employee because this person is going to, uh, like, if this person already has a job, this person is going to quit their job to work for you. And then you're just going to lay this person off after a while. Like, if you know that you only have this need for more workforce temporarily, then just hire us or or just hire any company that can provide you with what we do. It doesn't have to be us, but I don't like the idea of companies hiring employees, knowing that they won't need them after a while. So this is the gap that we fix. And of course, like our professionals are already trained in Angular, NX, Cypress, RxJS, functional programming. So looking for a professional that knows all those things is pretty hard. And even if they know that, they I guarantee they, they're not in the advanced level that the employees at Envoy are. So you would need to invest in training for these professionals. So if you just hire um, professionals already trained, then it becomes much cheaper and faster to build your product. This is what we do. Um, the other thing that I'm going to promote is the web animations course that I am working on. The waiting list is still open. If you join the waiting list now, you can guarantee a huge discount when the course launches. You can join the waiting list um, by going to lucaspaganini.com slash web animations. And yeah, these were my promotions uh, for today's episode. Of course, I am also always available in my social media platforms. So like, honestly, you can literally go there and send me a message. I think people forget about that. But you can just go to my LinkedIn or my Instagram, my Twitter, and literally send me a message and tell me if you liked this episode, uh, if you want me to talk more about FPTS and functional programming in general. I would very much appreciate your feedback on the content that I've been creating. My pick for today is going to be, I don't really know. Honestly, I don't think I have a pick for today. Um, I know that I have a not pick, which is the 2019 MacBook Pro of 16 inches. I have this computer for two years uh, now, but it has a, a particular hardware problem, which is when it is connected to an external monitor and the plug that connects the computer to the external monitor is in the right side of the MacBook and it's receiving power, like it's charging from the left side, then it heats up a lot and it starts a throttling process, which makes everything entirely slow. And last week, I lost two hours of recorded material because of that. So that was pretty frustrating. Like when you buy such an expensive computer, you do it because you want it to be reliable and to be performant in all situations. So knowing that if you connect your computer to an external monitor, depending on the side of the port that you connected, if you connect it in the right side of the computer or in the left side, like what? 
why should I care about which US, which Thunderbolt port I'm using? Like, this is ridiculous. And Apple just refuses to comment on this. Like, this has been an issue ever since this computer was released. Apple never spoke about it. A lot of people are reporting issues with that. So, uh, yeah, I don't even know if people still care about this computer now that we have M1s and M2s. But if for whatever reason you are considering get the, getting this computer because like it's cheaper because now we have M1 and M2, um, I would say like reconsider because this issue is extremely annoying. So I wouldn't recommend getting this particular um, computer. Yeah, so this is my angry not pick <laughs> for today. All right. Okay, thank you, and I'll see you in the next episode. Bye-bye.